The Culture Guy Podcast. Welcome back. This is the first episode of February 2017. And today I have a guest from Europe for you. Actually, we're not quite sure yet which part of Europe he identifies with most, but you'll hear about him shortly. Welcome back, this is Christian, also known as The Culture Guy, and this is The Culture Guy Podcast, the first episode of February. Welcome back, everybody. Glad that you can join us. Glad that you're listening to this recording. And before we go into our interview with our special guest today, I would like to direct you to our website, theculturemastery.com. Go to the blog section. There's a navigation on top. Just hit, hit the blog or just go on theculturemastery.com forward slash blog. Um, you'll find a new blog post there about the bank methodology. I just recently got fully certified to be a bank trainer. And the blog post explains everything about the bank methodology, how it helps you decode um, people's personality types and what motivates them to make decisions. Um, I might just do a podcast episode just on bank. Um, you can also go back to listen to one of the previous episodes we did with Miss Sherry Tree, who is in fact the founder inventor uh, of the bank methodology and she explains a little bit about bank on that episode but we might just delve deeper into that in the near future for now um, all I want to do is send you to the website look at that blog see how that resonates with you and how we can help you well crack the codes of people's personalities wouldn't that be amazing, right? Who wouldn't want to be able to talk to people they want to be talked to instead of, well, phrasing and framing your message the way you prefer to? That isn't always the best method to get your message across. Now, there's another gentleman that I would like to introduce to you today who has to figure out how to best get his message across. He is a person with three different cultures living inside of him and I'm gonna not gonna steal his son I'm gonna let him explain um, how that happened and how that is helping him today in his work and his personal life the gentleman is uh, well he's had well I'm not gonna give anything away I'm just gonna give you the name it's Pellegrino Riccardi and when I talked to him he was not where you think that name would put him so without further ado here we are Pellegrino, Riccardi, thank you for making time to be on our show. Welcome to the Culture Guy podcast. How are you today? Thanks for inviting me. I'm very well, thanks. I'm here in Oslo, nighttime. I guess it's daytime where you're calling from. Yes, there's a 
what six seven hour time difference between our locations and people will read your name Pellegrino Riccardi they will jump to the conclusion the guy's got to be Italian now they hear you talking mm. with somewhat of a British accent and you just told them mm. you live in Oslo what's the deal mm. with that very simple Italian parents emigrated to the UK raised their kids there um, and for the last 20 years, I have lived in Norway, married to Norwegian, Norwegian kids, Norwegian lifestyle. So I'm, I'm a third, I have to say, I'm a third British, a third Italian, and a third Norwegian. Yeah. So does any of these, do any of these cultural influences take precedence in your day-to-day -day behaviors? Yeah, when it's, when I'm watching football, I'm very Italian. Mm. When I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, when I'm, um, I, t I tell you what I do, I pick the best of all three actually, that's what I do. I'm a bit of a chameleon when it comes to that. I like to pick what I consider to be the most appropriate of the three to suit the situation that I'm in. Lovely. And you picked three distinct European cultures, I don't know if you picked them, but it just yeah. happened to be three very distinct European cultures that are in and by themselves rather well, significantly different from each other. How would you, um, how would you raise your kids, or how would you think your kids are? Are they more Norwegian? Are they more British? What are the influences on your children? Well, they they look very Norwegian. You know, your classic how you expect the Norwegian to look with the blonde hair and the blue eyes. Um, they speak Norwegian as their first language. They also speak English at home. Um, but the Italian they have on them, uh, I take them also back to Italy every year. I, I make a trip back to the family and to the village, the hometown, every summer, and they have a very strong connection to their Italian roots as well. So, again, I try to do the same with the kids as I do with myself. I, I try to pick the best of those three cultures and kind of put them in the kids. I, I, I love the calmness of the Scandinavian. You know, they've got this lovely, calm demeanor. Just, just something about them. They, they, they just keep their cool, don't they? Um, a sense of fairness, of equality. I love all that. So but I also love the, the proverbial yeah. Norwegian uh, egalitarianism, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's great, and it's pretty unique as well. Yeah. But at the same time, they've got that kind of um, Italian extroversion. They're quite extrovert, my kids. You know, they're not afraid to to start talking to anyone really, you know, they're quite warm, they speak out, they're very physical, they hug, um, I take the kids to school and still get a hug, I think that's really nice, you know, and and then the Britishness, they've got this, it's, the, it's something about the language, isn't it, when they speak English, that, 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 <laughs> that lovely British accent that comes out of their mouth when they speak, um, the, the sense of politeness, understatement. I love all that as well. Yeah? And then so, that, so, that levels know. well with, with Norwegian understatement, I would assume. It's, it's, it's not an... Uh, British English It doesn't have that somewhat overbearing or, or exuberant uh, communication style that you will find in North no. America, where I live. It's quite indirect. It can also be quite wordy. You know, you can use a lot of words in English. Whereas the Scandinavians limit their words. They don't use more words than absolutely necessary. They're a much more uh, cost-efficient language user culture, I would say. Right, right. And, and I guess this is 
some something that you learned in in your first career you told me in our in our previous conversation that um, many many moons ago you were a teacher for english as a second language until that bored you and, and you changed direction so for those of you who are not familiar with pellegrino riccardi uh, what do you do how, how do you pay your bills i pay my bills by traveling the world and giving talks on interaction between people which often involves some kind of cross-cultural interaction so I could be talking to companies about how to create good working environments how to negotiate with their clients um, how to be team leaders across multicultural projects and I give talks and, and workshops as well but mostly talks which is quite a challenge really you know you're given a kind of a, an hour to inspire, motivate, teach, and leave them with something that they can use in their daily work. That's it. That's what I do. So are your clients from certain industries, or is it always the same certain conglomerate that you work for, or does it run the gamut? Uh, it ranges from kindergarten employees up to um, foreign office uh, foreign office uh, workers who, who work on behalf of the Norwegian government. It's the whole spectrum. It could be anything. All right. Uh, public, private sector, media, you name it. I mean, the world is more and more global, isn't it? So there's going to be a constant need for this. I would think so. And you travel the world doing this, so I would assume that even though you may be a little more culturally competent than than many others, given your, your personal and family background, have you ever found yourself abroad in situations where you realized, oh, wait a second, I don't think I was assessing this situation properly and I may have reacted in a way that was not really supportive of my goal? Yeah, absolutely. Just just because I'm a cultural expert doesn't mean I get it right all the time. Far far from it. But, you know, making mistakes is part of the deal. That's how you learn, isn't it? Um, I had an example. I was in I was in uh, Oman actually. That was a really enlightening tour. I was in Oman, and two things happened to me there that really stuck out. First of all, I was in a very nice restaurant in. Uh, uh, and sort of there with my clients when across the restaurant there are these women there right so they're they're basically covered up mm -hmm. almost completely and the only thing you can see are their eyes and and suddenly I found these eyes to be very what's the right word alluring almost tempting you know they, they kind of look across the restaurant at you as well they really stare and they really look and these eyes are kind of drilling into you yeah Right. And I find myself looking back out of curiosity, and before I know it, there's a man who's caught me looking at the woman, right? And that is not all anywhere, actually, but especially there. Um, and what can you do? I'm stuck in the moment. I can't obviously go over to the guy, but the most important thing is that you realize your sort of transgression. You've done something that doesn't really fit there and you stop it right and then you can also I, I i i communicated with my body language that you know that was not appropriate i i and i think he picked up on that yeah okay. so i kind of a, radiated a kind of apology across this restaurant with my body right um but, so, but you make mistakes all the time so there was not a confrontation he did not step up to you and no there was no formal confrontation no, okay. no 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 it was far too nice a place it was far too 
Well, it was it was it was a restaurant, right? Had it been in the street, I don't know what would have happened, right? But um, you know, for no other reason that I would than I was curious. My curious curiosity took over me basically. Yep. But then my curiosity also helped me once. I was sitting next to a guy in uh, Oman having dinner. Uh, uh, this was through work, so you know he was a client, and I'd heard that he had two wives, and. Um, well, to cut a long story short, I really wanted to know what it was like having two wives, just out of curiosity. What is life like when you have two wives, right? Um, and one of the most important things I try to teach people in my workshops is that you can almost ask any question you like, provided you ask the question out of genuine curiosity. Genuine curiosity. That's really important, yeah? Not just curiosity, but genuine. You're really genuinely interested. So, and that requires a lot of effort through your facial expressions. So after I've been sitting with him for about an hour and we're getting on fire, I turned to him and said, uh, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? He said, yeah, of course. I said, listen, um, I heard that you have two wives. And he said, yeah, I do. And I said, I'm really curious. What's life like with two wives? And he paused for a little bit. And then he turned to me and he said, expensive. So, <laughs> that was the beginning of the conversation and we kind of laughed together I said of course it is and he told me about how we're having to have two families and wow yeah of course and then I said where do they live and he said they lived in separate villages and he had two separate lives I asked him how many kids he had nine kids I said is that five with one and four with the other no and then his face went really sad I thought maybe I asked the wrong question again. No, he said, you know, I've given one wife nine kids, but I'm not able to give the other wife other kids. And, and he sort of starts crying, basically, and in a good way. You know, the guy is opening up to me because I'm asking him questions with genuine curiosity. I keep my opinions to myself and I'm asking because I want to, I'm interested in the guy. Tell me what it's like. This, this is this is a, a perfect example. I, I love this how because we teach our clients that the the one superpower that they need to be really successful when dealing with other cultures is to be vulnerable. However, there can only be vulnerable if there is a sacred space in which this is allowed to happen without negative impact. So you by actively listening and being genu genuinely curious, he mm -hmm. the the alpha male Arab was able to show himself vulnerable and accept uh, or, or speak about something that he considered uh, a negative or a weakness of himself. So, well done. Yeah. And also just that people like to talk about themselves. I mean, that's what you're doing with me now, right? You're interviewing me and I'm talking about myself. It feels good. Yeah. People like to... Generally, if you approach them appropriately, they like to tell you things, but first they've got to feel safe. And I like that that space of vulnerability there. That's a really good expression. That's exactly what happened. Yeah? Right. So hmm. this brings up an interesting topic. So this Oman example, we're now in the year 2016. The refugee yeah. crisis in Europe has been going on for more than a year. We, throughout Europe, and I think Norway is no exemption to that, we have seen an influx of people from the 
Arabic world and from the, the Muslim world, you see women covering up all across Europe. Um, how mm. has this affected your environment? Do you see um, a change in, in Norwegian um, welcome culture and Norwegian acceptance towards people from a different behavioral norm, from, from a different uh, form of accepted and familiar behaviors? Oh, for sure. I mean, um, Norwegians by nature, Nor Norway has been a very homogenic society for many until very recently. It's just re in, in perhaps the last 15 to 20 years that it's become multicultural. And even then, it's mostly around the two or three cities that Norway has. Oslo, the obvious example, the capital city. But I think some of the things we're hearing in the newspapers I think they basically come out of, it's not fear of other cultures, it's lack of knowledge of other cultures. Therefore, one feels a sense of fear. One feels as if one doesn't know anything, right? right. Uh, and when you don't know how to act, and that's your, that's your belief in your head, I don't know how to act, then it's pretty clear how that's going to go, right? So I think it's just a lack of knowledge really yeah and also a sense of feeling a bit threatened and I get it as well I mean I, I understand it um, why a, a native culture would feel a sense of threat because it's all a bit overwhelming isn't it it's all happening so quickly at the moment right, right. It, it's ta it takes time getting used to and I, I found a piece in the news about uh, Norwegian King Harald speaking on the topic of diversity not too long ago in which he yeah, may, that, may, right? may have surprised some of the fellow Norwegians about his um, inclusiveness. He, he basically emphasized that Norway is a country that is made up of not only Norwegians but also from the various immigrants and refugees that now live in the country. Uh, was this well received across the nation? Well, it was two things. It was wonderfully received in Norway. Uh, at the same time, that is also that is actually very Norwegian. Norwegians are very inclusive people. That's why I say that any form of skepticism comes from a lack of knowledge. Norwegians, by nature, are inclusive of people. They're, they're very good at including. It starts in their kindergartens. You know, children are basically drilled to include other children. It's very group-oriented, actually. That's what a lot of people don't know about Scandinavia. Right. You know, that social democracy thing and, and, and the taxation and everybody chipping in, that's a Scandinavian value. That's why when they show this animosity to people coming here, I don't think it comes from a bad place. It comes from a place of, I don't know how to deal with these people. It's all overwhelming. I'm scared. Mm -hmm. Then we say stupid things. So how, how, how did that um, strike you when you first came to Norway from a rather, well, in Great Britain is also a rather egalitarian country with a, probably a much, much higher degree of inequality than, than most Scandinavian countries. However, yeah. Great Britain, as with many Anglo-Saxon cultures, is highly individualistic, whereas Scandinavia is much more group-oriented. So you share this egalitarian strain. However, you came from a country with a much more me, 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 I, I, I culture and you come into this we and group culture. How, how was that for you? Well, you basically, you know, you, you're going straight to the, the hub of the problem. That's exactly the first thing that struck me here in, in Norway. My, my British individualism did not go down well at all, mm -hmm. actually. Um, 
in the UK, we kind of like eccentricity, weirdness, individuality. You know, comedy is the obvious example, right? You know, the Monty Pythons, the John Cleese, all these weird and lovely comedians. I mean, Norwegians love it. They love watching it on TV, but they don't want you to be too weird in society, actually. They're quite conformist. So my outspokenness, you know, that kind of British... I have something to say and I'd like you to hear it type of thing. That didn't work at all. That was probably one of my first cultural faux pas. How did you I had re- to tone it down. How did you recover from that? Or how did you, did you tone down your individualism? Or were you yeah, able to I make it to a tool down. for yourself? I had to tone it down. First, I had to understand it. Why? Why can't I say, why can't I share my opinion? What's wrong with that? You know, that's the first thing. What's wrong with it? And nobody could really explain it, actually. And I kept feeling that I was being put in the same box as a very, very outspoken American. And, you know, we Brits think the Americans are quite outspoken. And yet here I was in Scandinavia, and I was very outspoken. I had to just turn it down, tone it down, and that's where the trouble starts. Because then what happens is it's like switching off an important part of your identity, of who you are. And that is the problem that anybody working cross-culturally or an expat moving abroad. In order to adapt, you may have to switch off certain buttons of your persona. And that doesn't feel good. Right. Sometimes it's, you know, you just think, this isn't me. Mm-hmm. So you have I to find a balance a between, between adopting well, a new behavior that's accepted and familiar in the new environment and also stay true and authentic to your... Exactly, and that's that's a constant struggle. And you talk to anyone who lives abroad, that is a constant struggle. And some people just say, well, you know, what the hell, take it or leave it, this is who I am. And then very often, you know, they'll disconnect themselves from their native, their local culture, right? I've always tried to adapt to find that middle ground, and and I think I've done pretty well. But it takes a long time. So what would you recommend to first-time expatriates or first-time, well, it could be global travelers, but travel is, is very limited in time. So let's say a sojourner, an expatriate, someone who lives, who decides to live and work in a different culture for the first time. What would be your nugget or your piece of advice that is central? Well, uh, if you're going to be there for an extended period of time, first of all, you've got to accept that you will have to change. You will have to adapt. The alternative is just hanging around in expat communities, and that is a that is a, a shame. That's a pity. The first thing you've got to do is 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 that frame of mind where you accept I am a visitor to another country. And what do visitors do when they visit people? They are on their best behaviour and they try to adapt, right? right? Until we become good friends, and then I can put my feet on the coffee table <laughs> when we know each other well enough. Are you with me? It's just like going to someone's house. I think it's that simple. Going to another another person's house, in Norway I hear there are certain rules about that. You take off your shoes and then you put on house shoes, right? Yeah. Right, correct. And I didn't do that, of course, because I, I, I didn't know that. Uh, and then they would politely say, in Norway we take our shoes off. Uh, and that felt really odd. Uh-huh. Well, and you learned how, then- to, how to wear proper socks from then on I would assume then yeah I, because the first thing I think is have I got any holes in my socks right yeah. and then you start to you, you start to look after your socks you buy socks a little bit more often and you're much more aware of your socks Excellent. but then here's the other thing 
Another nugget, if you call it a nugget, another thing I always tell myself, as well as others, is that behind every behavior, no matter how weird or strange or irritating it is, there's usually a positive intention. So people might say it in a strange way, but behind there is a positive intention. A classic example is the Japanese person who says yes, of course, when really they mean no. It can be very irritating, just to take a very stereotypical example. Rather than being irritated by the behavior, try to understand why the guy said yes when he actually means no. Because if you get that, you'll be able to deal with that situation better the next time, and you'll start to develop strategies for trying to understand when a yes means yes and a yes means no. So you get behind the behavior this as is quickly a, as you can. This is, this is a, a typical example of how the, the cultural detective method works for those of you who have heard about it or, or are not familiar yet with it. This is a method that m many cultural trainers work with, assuming the positive intent behind uh, the foreign and unfamiliar behavior. Um, are you going to... Are you going to uh, solve the riddle of the Japanese that says yes but means no so we don't have a cliffhanger and people yes. listen and to this episode and think, well, what is it, yeah, what is yeah, it, yeah. tell us. It's very simple. Uh, it could be a number of things. It could be simply that he wants to buy some time before he gives you a final answer and he wants you to go away and the best way to make people go away is to give them nice answers. Um, or it could be that he simply can't say no because he would lose face or he's afraid of embarrassing you or he's afraid of revealing that he's protecting some kind of inadequacy, he hasn't done his job, he's not prepared, he hasn't been given the okay yet. There could be a load of reasons. But all of them, none of them, none of the reasons why he does them that says yes, none of those reasons include because I want to make your life difficult. <laughs> it really, if it is there, then he's a psychopath. Well, and I, I, I really appreciate you, you driving that point home because in, in, in all of my experience working with expatriates or, or training people to, to be more successful across cultures, this is something that always comes up. There is, at some point, they all have an experience where they suspect there was ill will behind somebody's behavior that they weren't able to decipher. And that is usually never the case, as you rightfully said. It's, it's usually, we just don't understand the why behind the unfamiliar behavior. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Pellegrino, thank you so much for taking time. How do people find you? I mean, I will certainly make sure that people will find the link to your TEDx talk you gave, what, some two years ago in, at, in, at TEDx in Bergen. Um, what yeah. else would you like people to find? Well, we'll make sure that we post all the links to your social media profiles in the show notes. So what, what, what's the most... Well, just go, I, I recommend one. people to go to that TEDx, not just because it's me talking, but because I, I think I managed in 18 minutes to sort of convey the essence of what cross-cultural communication and interaction involves. So do go and have a look at that, right? All right. I do have a homepage. It's a very simple homepage, uh, which is um, www.pellegrino-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash-dash
Uh, and I and I um, I write. I have written a book, but it's in Norwegian, which isn't much help. The next book will be in English. I do write stories actually, uh, based on intercultural interaction. You know, how do how does the multicultural affect one's life? You know, that kind of dilemma between who you are. Well, so, maybe all of our, all of the listeners will have to learn uh, Norwegian then in, a, in order to be able to read your book. I will make sure to to post all the links that lead to you. Pellegrino, thank you very much. Mille grazie. So and how do you say Prego. thank you? How do you say thank you in Norwegian? Tak, or you can say tusen tak, which is mille grazie. Tusen tak. Tusen tak. Mille grazie. Vielen Dank. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful evening in Oslo. And I hope to have you on the program again soon with maybe the next I'd book that comes that. out in English. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person soon. It was this was a great episode. Um, look forward to people pinging you because they heard you on this program. Thanks very much, Billy. Great. Thanks so much, Christian. Yeah. Thanks so much. Pellegrino Riccardi And I'm sure you noticed that the volume levels on the recording went up and down. That's not because your device is broken. This is because my recording was bad. I apologize. And those of you who paid close attention may have also picked up on the fact that this interview was recorded in the old year. Well, it's still timely, isn't it? So check out the show notes, go to theculturemastery.com forward slash blog. You'll find the post that refers to this episode with all the links to Pellegrino's social media to his website and most importantly to the TED talk that we mentioned. And as always, we appreciate comments. So send us a tweet, send us a direct message on Facebook, send us an email, leave a comment on the website, however you would like to interact with us. We love that. What did you learn? What was the one takeaway or more than one takeaway from this episode? Drop us a line. And if you know somebody who would be an excellent candidate to be featured on this program, we would love to hear that as well. So remember, behind every behavior, no matter how weird or unfamiliar or unusual you may find it, there is always a positive intention. With that, I'm out. Always remember, trust your process. Cultural adjustment isn't something you can swallow with a pill or by a push of a button. It takes practice, it takes experience, and it takes, well, it takes your will, your desire to actually understand. So, listen more, talk less, observe more. The Culture Guys out. Trust your process. Talk to you next time.